Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Catherine Greenland. Borderless Satmi evokes the image of a migratory people who have never been contained by imperialist borders. These people include Sami descendants, Sami Americans, Sami Canadians, and other Sami people in the diaspora. On behalf of the Board of Directors at the Pacific Sami CRV, we are humbled and honored to be offering the first podcast about Sami culture and life, which centers the diaspora perspective. This podcast is a culmination of hard work from many individuals who are dedicated to remembering, relearning, and revitalizing our connections to our ancestors, our culture, our language, and our relationships to our shared ancestral homelands of Sápmi. We may fail in a variety of ways, from technical to topical, to cultural ignorance on issues, but we want to always acknowledge that we are learning and we welcome input from our Sami and indigenous relatives here on Turtle Island. Our intention is to co-create this podcast in a good way. We recognize that our experiences as people of the diaspora are different from those who continue to live in Sápmi, and we look forward to strengthening those bonds with our cousins through this work. I want to give a special thank you to the board and membership of the Pacific Sami CRV for hosting this podcast and providing a platform for us to traverse, reflect on, and reclaim our connections to Sami culture and identity. I'm incredibly excited to be walking alongside you, our listeners, on the journey as we talk with our guests and learn from their unique perspectives and lived experiences. Today, we are listening to the first part of a two-part interview with Anna Lengstrand. Thank you for joining us. Today on the podcast is Anna Langstrand. Anna merges her deep passion for traditional Sami handcraft, duoji, into each piece of jewelry that she is handmaking in her rural mountainside studio in Pemberton, British Columbia. Anna was born and raised in Sweden, but left in her mid-20s to do a ski season in Canada. The vast wilderness and the endless mountains pulled her to stay longer, and now... Many years later, she has one foot in Sweden and one foot in Canada. Anna's reindeer jewelry are inspired by her ancient Nordic indigenous Sami heritage dedicated to her grandfather, Algat, who comes from the old Sami family, Poka. Algat grew up in a small forest village called Joksvara in northern Sweden. This is Sápmi territory, the land of the Sámi people, and he was the youngest of seven children herding reindeer living off of the land. Anna believes in keeping up old indigenous traditions alive in our modern world and in her business celebrates her heritage. She makes these beautiful bracelets with her business called Simply Sámi Jewelry, which are a traditional part of Sami handcraft and culture, uh, but it's also a sustainable fashion. And Anna feels great pride to have the opportunity to spread her passion for duoji to the rest of the world, as well as spreading knowledge about and speaking up for Sami people. Welcome to the podcast, Anna. Thank you so much, Kathleen. <laughs> um, why did you move to Canada? 
yeah, I always get this question. So it's um, the answers might not be as, as straightforward as you might think. Like I was in New Zealand snowboarding after I was done my master's thesis and I was just like, I just needed a break. I went up to Yellevar and lived with grandma and grandpa for a while full time. And Dundrat is my home mountain. So I, well, I love skiing and snowboarding. And then, then when, I, when the spring came and I, I, I was like, okay, what should I do now? I wanted to continue winter, which means you have to go very south, right? So I was in New Zealand and I felt I wasn't even done winter then. <laughs> I will never get done with winter. So I applied for a job in Oare in, you know, southern Sápmi and one in Canada, super spontaneously. I never, ever thought about moving here. And then the one back home didn't accept me, <laughs> but the one in Canada did. So I was like, let's go to Canada for a few months. That would be fun. And I had to learn English too. I wasn't that good at English at the time. Well, you're a fantastic English speaker now. I, I wouldn't oh. have guessed. It seems like you've been speaking your whole life. Oh, thank you. But it, I'm, yeah, languages is not the easiest thing for me. <laughs> so it sounds like your love of the mountains and skiing is what yeah. originally drew, drew you to Canada. Why did you come over alone? Well, it was just me traveling around just for fun kind of thing. So I was like, oh, I can easily be there for six months or something alone. Uh, that's not a big deal. So I just, you know, kind of packed up my bags and bye to my dog, which was heartbreaking. But I was like, oh, I'll be home soon because he was too old to bring anyways. Um, and then I was here. I still didn't plan on moving forever. But spring came and summer and I, I just fell in love with these mountains. And I was like, everything I want to do in life. I can do here without having to travel anywhere. Like back home, like the mountain biking and the skiing and horseback riding and hiking, everything is not in the same town kind of. You have to travel around it a little bit more and it's still not as vast and uh, breathtaking as here. Well, that's, well, my heart will always be in the, in the Swedish mountains, you know, but it's bigger here. There's, there's more mountain peaks. So I wanted to try to stay. And then it got kind of scary because you know, one year turned into not a year. And then suddenly you're starting to move into a country without even planning it. So 11 years later, I'm still here and I haven't celebrated a Christmas with my family since I left in 2010, like stuff like that. Wow. So I, and you just recently got your Canadian citizenship. Is that right? Yeah. A few weeks ago. Congratulations. Thank you. So I just kind of left everyone without thinking about it really you know it just kind of happened and and uh, I kind of realized afterwards that every one of my friends and, and family is still in Sweden and I'm across the planet for for a very long time now because I like you, it here a lot but it's it, it's very lonely sometimes hmm. it really is what does your life in Canada look like now what does your your work life and your your home life look like now that you're a resident uh, and Canadian citizen? The day I got my permanent residency, which, you know, a step towards citizenship, that was, I think, five or not, five or six years ago, I bought my first horse. I was like, I can't stay here now. I can breathe. <laughs> so I want to have a horse so badly. So I got him and I kept him with a friend's herd. And I 
I just made it happen. I was like, okay, I can stay and I can have kind of the life I want. I can still ski and everything and I have a horse. And then my boyfriend at the time, him and I lived in Whistler and, and um, we wanted to have a farm, of course, one day ourselves, but we didn't think it was gonna happen this soon. But his, his parents actually helped us out to be able to purchase a piece of land with an old house in Pemberton, which is just like, it's like a half an hour from where we used to live. So suddenly we had our own piece of land and I could move this horse Tanner with me and slowly start building up the life that I always dreamed of even back home. So now I have three horses and a farm and we built a barn and I have a dog again, because unfortunately my old one hustle passed away a year after I moved to Canada. Mm-hmm. And yeah, two cats and a little Canadian, um, yeah, farm mountain paradise little life here. Hmm. So I'm just so happy and grateful that I can, in, you know, enjoy my days at home with my animals, thanks to, to my handcraft, because I, I work from home. So yeah, my days are pretty much spent at the farm. Wow, that's amazing. Mm. It's just, it's like a blessing, right? To be able to be free and flexible and and do whatever you want. But with that being said, I work a lot, but I can choose when I do it. Like if it's sunny, like today, it's a beautiful sunny day here. And we just got snow yesterday, the first snow of the year. I was like, I want to take a lunch break a longer lunch break and go riding my horse like I have to do that or another day I might want to go skiing for a few hours and then I can go home and work in the evening if I want and if it's raining I can work all day if it's you know bad weather and then I can take the next day off if I want to it's Mm. it's a blessing and I love what I do mainly you know of course I do can you tell us a little bit about uh your doji and and what you you're making um, and, and also, can you tell us how that connects to your Sami identity? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I focus on soft textiles like tin thread and leather, reindeer leather. Um, so I, I do embroidery and braiding. I currently only sell the, the braided jewelry, traditional kind of braided styles and contemporary styles. The, the embroidered tin thread is coming. That's something I'm working on. And I have, as you've seen, one of my designs already that I sent down to, to the museum. Um, so that will be something new, but that's more difficult. And it's the next step for me to release that to the world. So yeah, I just, I, I, bray, I hand braid um, this pewter and sterling silver mixture thread it's mainly pewter with a little bit of silver and and i'm sewing it by hand onto pieces of leather and create bracelets and i've seen your work it's so beautiful thank you thank you for donating a few of your pieces to the archives for the pacific sami crv collection yeah that's a, uh, a true honor to be like that you guys wanted my my handcraft there I could never ever imagine that it, when I first started selling them to to the public I was scared of showing them to anyone I was like even my aunt I'm like do you prove these to like be sold 
can people pay for these? Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> we yeah. feel completely honored to be able to share your work with, with our members and, and other Sami Americans who are interested in this. Um, we have a lot to learn. Thank you. Well, it's like I say, it's an honor. I come from a, like handcraft is one of my family's ways of expressing our identity. And there's many, many talented artists, uh, including my own grandfather. My mom's cousin is, yeah, he's, he's winning awards back home with his uh, engraved knives and and guxis and everything else. Uh, he's insanely talented. And then I have a lot of cousins, second cousins that are just are amazing uh, painters. And there's some, yeah, there's there's a bunch of us. Uh, so it's it's been, I guess it's our voice. Your art is your voice. I think so. Beautiful. Yeah, I think I want to just continue, continue talking a little bit about uh, the artists in my family, because that's on my mother's, the Sami side. But then on my dad's side, I actually has, I have his last name. That's why it's, it's different. It's Langstrand. So he, him and his family bought that back in the day. But that name, it's a lot of famous musicians, I can't say it today, musicians, musicians, musicians. and songwriters. Hmm. And uh, my, my grandfather, my dad's side was a famous sculpturist. So it's always been around me. Like grandma was, a, she used to paint a lot too. And, and grandpa actually drawed and painted too, other than the sculpture, sculpture, so. It's always been in my blood to sit at my grandparents, both of their um, their their studios, and and just watch them work. Like grandpa with his bones and wood and and engraving, and my other grandfather, he was just yeah absorbed in his statues and his metalwork. Hmm. Can you help me pronounce your last name? Lengstrand. 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 Lengstrand, is that right? Yeah. Something Anna funny happened. The, uh, the last week, well, last week was released. So Maxida Marak, which is a famous, you know, Sami hip hop artist back home. She just did a version of a song that's called Eloise and released it. And it's top in Sweden. But that song is written by my dad's cousin. So it's like suddenly this Swedish kind of this song that my kind of Swedish side of me on my dad's side, they created, but suddenly the Sami just took it over and made it so much better. And I'm so proud. <laughs> wow. I can't it, wait to it hear it. It's so special to me that it's like it kind of connecting both sides of me a little bit. And what's the name of the song? Eloise. Eloise. You need to listen to that one. It's really good. It's on Spotify. Okay. I'll check it out. She did a very cool version of it, but I, of course, I know that song from like since I was like five years old, just in my head. So it's really cool that it's not the, maybe the best of songs, you know, <laughs> kind of an old school dancing song. But yeah, she made it really cool. And she's a really amazing Sami kind of activist hip hop artist. So everyone needs to look Maxida Marak up too. Very cool woman, power woman. Wow, I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> Now you have unique horse hair designs. Can you tell us more about that? I just ended up working with horse hair because 
obviously I spend a lot, a lot of my time around horses ever since I was a kid, but I didn't think about combining that for, a, for many years until a friend lost her horse suddenly uh, in, in colic, which was a very sad day. He was young and she just started training him and I wanted to create something special for her. So I wanted to combine my, my more traditional handcraft with something new. So I'm calling it Sami inspired horse hair jewelry. So I started creating designs that would hold the, the hairs together really nicely and kind of frame it. And yeah, be some like a keepsake, a very, very special keepsake they can wear on their wrists and hopefully feel the energy you know, from their heart horse that they just lost. It's like a special wearable, yeah, keepsake. And that started to develop more and more. So I've done it for five or six, uh, five years now, I think. And people send me hers from all over the place, even from Iceland. And uh, I, I braid that hair into unique designs for them. It's, it's, it's very cool. What a special way to connect to your horse. I, I yeah, it's, I made one. I have one here that I made with. If you can explain what you see, that's my own horse hair, like my horse Stella's tail. So I kind of. This is an incredible piece of art. Can you tell us a little bit about the materials you used in this piece? Yeah, so this is the traditional tin thread. Some braids have no horse hair. And then I'm using them to frame a centerpiece that's made out of three different colors of horse hair from the tail. So it's white and black and kind of reddish. And then the centerpiece of that braid is also framed with more uh, pewter and silver. And then I'm stitching it onto the bl a black uh, plant-eyed re um, reindeer uh, hide. And the closure is always the traditional uh, reindeer antler button. Where do you find your reindeer hides and antlers? From home. I order everything from uh, Northern Sweden and I'm picky with the quality and everything I get. And then I hand polish uh, and sand the buttons myself to get Beautiful. them the way I wanted. Grandpa made a few. He made every, all the buttons for my aunt's bracelets, but by the time I started making them, he, he was said he was retired from it. He was maybe 93 or so at the 92 or three at the time when I started his business. So there's no way, but I have a few of his left. And then my mom's cousin, the sixth thing, he, he engraved a few buttons for me that he made from the reindeer back home from, from his own herd. So I have those two, but the other ones are more basic ones that I'm just polishing up the way I like them. Hmm. And who do you find are, are most interested in purchasing your doji? Is it mostly Canadians or outside of Canada as well? Mainly Canada and US, but it's quite all over the place. Like people back home are very supportive, but it gets more pricey because of the shipping and customs, you know? So I, that's the little issue, but my market is over here. So I'm very happy that they support and love what I do, but I like the whole point about, I think my jewelry is to have Canadians and Americans wearing it and knowing what it represents. 
knowing that this is not Swedish bracelets or Viking bracelets or whatever they sold, they call them over here. Because you know, you can find copies on, on Etsy. So I like people to learn and then wear it with pride, like over here, that's so far away from Sapni, you know? So I can hopefully do something good by, by being so far away. So, so it's the main clientele is over here, but I ship to Australia and, and France and, and Switzerland and Sweden and Finland and yeah. What does your jewelry represent? What do you want the wearer to know about what goes into the making of your jewelry? Well, I want everyone to know that this is a type of Sami jewelry that everyone can wear. And it represents Sami culture. And for some people, I have to explain that it's kind of like a Northern European or a Nordic kind of indigenous handcraft and explain who the Sami people who we are and, and more history behind it. But I just, because a lot of pieces in the culture is, 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 everyone can't have it on, you know, like everyone can't buy it and they shouldn't wear it. It, sh it shouldn't be something mainstream unless you're part of that specific area, for instance. But my jewelry and, and other uh, Sami jewelry makers make pieces that everyone can wear. And then I want them to know what it represents and they're celebrating Sami culture by wearing the pieces and people love that because they read up. I always give them an info sheet about the history of our people and the craft. And then a little bit about myself that comes with every piece. So they learn. And a lot of times people email me back saying they've been Googling and searching and they're like, oh my God, I learned so much. And I'm like, okay, that's, I think that's my point. Like if I can just show one person who we are and who, what the Sami people have been, you know, going through and who we are today and just help to educate that that's amazing. If my pieces can do that. Mm. And also I think it's, it's people feel powerful wearing them. Like it is a powerful piece of jewelry. Like the Sami people are very strong and persistent and powerful and, and yeah, survivors. And I think you can feel that when you wear the designs. But it's nice to make something unisex that that it's I don't have a specific person who buys my my pieces. It can be pretty much anyone. Sometimes people like surprise me. I'm like, oh my God, you want to wear a bracelet? Oh that's oh my what an honor. Thank you. You know, it can be some random cowboy somewhere, you know. I don't know. <laughs> How wonderful. Well, I know that your jewelry design business has taken off since you first started it. Uh, can you tell us more about how it has grown and, and what are you hoping for? What are you visioning and dreaming for in the future? When I first started the business back in almost 2015, but I registered it, registered it, registered it, registered. See, I can't speak English still, whatever. In early 2016, <laughs> um, I just people had always asked me what well, the bracelet I was wearing, what they were. So I knew it was an interest, but I never ever imagined selling them on a bigger scale than to my friends. 
So today I'm embarrassed to say that I used to call the business Simply, uh, Simply Swedish. But that was just because I was known as like simply as the Swedish girl, like in Whistler, I, I had jobs that were, um, well, people knew about me in town. I was a little bit known for my position. So I, they knew me as the Swedish girl. So then I was like, oh yeah, oh, this is Swedish girl's jewelry. And then I taught them about, about dodgy and, and what it was and, and everything in my family. But that was it. I was like, oh yeah, perfect. They can they 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 reacted on the name because they knew it was me and then they were supporting me but i was like the smallest scale you can imagine like i never even thought someone outside of whistler would know about me and then when it started spreading i was like oh my god like of course like <laughs> no i can't call it simply swedish and i was so embarrassed because the the one of the kind of art summit councils in Stockholm, even like polit political like level knew about me. That's like, I wanted to sink through the ground because I'm such a, I'm so proud, you know, to be of, to be of a, like of the Epoca, that's our family. So it's like, oh man. So I rebranded the whole thing, of course, when I realized how big it was starting to be, but I never intended that. I just wanted to make pieces uh, and be able to share my handcraft with with some people, you know, and mainly to honor grandpa and and our family, because we all know they didn't have it that easy when they were young. So I just wanted to like lift him and get him to be insanely proud in his nineties, which he, you know, he loved what I was doing. So yeah, I I did it for him for many years. And then after he passed, that was that, yeah, two years ago, 18, I went home and by the time I got flew back here again, I was, I talked to Sixten also back home, my mom's cousin, that's the Sixten case. So that's the uh, very, very talented dodgy maker back home. And he just lifted me and said that we have to keep this going now, like him and I are the main people doing it in a family and I came back to Canada and I was a little lost because it used to be all of, about grandpa and I was like ah, it's about me now it's my journey so I've been trying to 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 take kind of change the focus I kind of take it back or like lift myself up since then so nowadays I try to to focus more on me than than on him because I love him and he taught me so much about life and this was all to honor to be dedicated to him but it, I think it's time and he would have wanted me to 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 do it for me now so it's it's been a long kind of circle back and forth and here and whatever to get to the point I am today but I never ever of course I'm sure many people say that intended to to be one of the names on the international market you know uh, but I'm I'm so happy and honored and grateful that people think it's it's worth buying my pieces. Mm. So beautiful. I want to ask you more about Sami in Sami culture. It's so important to honor our ancestors, and I can hear that that's also important to you. And so I want to mm. ask you more about that if you feel comfortable sharing. Um, I lost my grandmother last year, but I still feel 
like it's very important to honor her. And I, I wonder if that is something that is Sami about me or how, how do you continue to honor your ancestors even after they're gone? It might be something, Sami, like I, I don't know, I always had it in me too. And the day grandpa passed, I was here, of course, in Canada and I, I had my own ceremony that just felt right, but I was guided by the First Nation shaman from here, but to do it my, like my way. Um, so I have a tree that, uh, that I have uh, kind of after him here now that's starting growing. It was a little tree then and it's getting bigger. So I have to protect it from the horses, but they don't seem to like that one. And it's pretty cool because it divided in two. And then grandma passed a few weeks, like maybe five weeks after him. So they're growing beside each other now. So that spot, I, it's in, my, in our backyard where the most beautiful view of the mountains from back there, you can see them in like 360 degrees. And I go there almost daily and do a little prayer for him and, and like ask him for guidance. And he loved the sun because, you know, it's so dark up there most of the time. And even though he said that, snowstorms were an amazing way to clear your head and he loved being out in those harsh conditions he as soon as the sun came out he just soaked it in so usually when I'm back there the sun starts peeking through so that's one way I do it is just go there and kind of talk to him and, and feel kind of feel him and I, I always just keep reminding no, no I don't have to keep reminding myself I I, I just remember him and other people in my family is naturally throughout the days. And I, we also try to, of course, write things down so we won't lose this, this, some of the stories. And we have books. We have a Sami book about Engesoa Sami village, which is where the Poka settled in the early uh, 19, uh, 1920. Yeah, 1920. I should know exactly the date. That was very bad of me not to remember. It's right here. This is our book. It's full of reindeer. Nine, oh, re-record. Poka settled in Yorksavara in 1902. <laughs> Good thing I have a book. So we're trying to just document things also. So we will, you know, if I keep telling maybe my kids the wrong story, they can go in here and make sure mommy is not, oh, mommy hasn't forgot her, her family. And everything That's, is in here. <laughs> how wonderful that you have a, a record, a physical record of your family. How do you stay connected to your family in Sabmi now that you are in Canada? Like computer or phone. Like I get phone calls from my mom's, one of my mom's cousin. He calls me like I'm his daughter. He calls me almost every second week and just checks in on me and what's going on and tells me about the weather and just like this random everyday stuff. And then everyone else, like six in case was getting, sorry, six in if he listens, older. So he, he doesn't like to ride on his phone that much. So his sister, Liana, is helping him. So we talk through her a lot and he sends me photos on all his latest, latest dodgy, you know, handcrafts and stuff he's making and they're keeping me updated on just life and, and handcraft. And the younger ones I talk to all the time, you know, thanks to Instagram and Facebook and, and just iMessages or whatever, you know, all that kind of stuff. So thanks to the modern world, I feel very close to them, almost closer than when I was back home. Because then you kind of leave, your, you don't make as much of an effort when you're in Sweden. 
because you think, oh, I'll go there soon. I call her soon. But now it's like I talk, make sure I talk to them often because it's, it's, it means so much to me. I don't know if I answered that question about how we honor our, our elders or our ancestors, but I think just, I don't know the right answer on that. Is there anyone in the diaspora that you've been teaching or what are your hopes for mentoring or, or passing on your knowledge? If you ever want that dodgy stamp, which I've been meaning to apply for, sorry, six for not done it yet. I was on my way. I had even filled in all the paperwork and I made three pieces and then I thought they weren't good enough. So I just sold them like normal pieces. Um, if you want that, your name has to be on everything. So of course you can't have anyone working with you. So right now, since I'm younger still, I'm 36, I'm focusing all my time on making a fine, like a fine, I make my handcraft better and, and learn more and advance that as much as I can. And then in the future, I would love to learn a fam, like teach a family member, like a, like a daughter or a son or maybe my nieces. But it for me, it has to stay in the family unless it's someone, of course, within our own community. Um, I know there would be a market if I just released how you did this on Vimeo and people could buy the courses, but no ever, like there's no way I would ever, ever do that. This stays, this is something that we learn from people, you know, within our community or from, from elders within our family. And you don't just share that everywhere. Like, so right now I just don't really do it for anyone because my elders are very upset with um, how the society is looking right now with all the copies that claim to be they're selling them as let's say some some band or some bracelets and they're nowhere close to be anywhere anything Sami right and even in Sweden this is a very very big problem so especially what I work with, like my niche of jewelry or the genre, genre is very complicated. It's, it's, a, it's a very political, politi political and complicated situation. It's so much fake. So I'm just doing my own thing and trying not to, to look elsewhere right now. But of course I would like to, to do it within our community one day, if I get the support from my elders to do it. Mm -hmm. They're there being very strict right now. <laughs> you mentioned that you studied with a local shaman who on whose ancestral lands do you currently live? I live on the Lilwat Nation. So it's a beautiful and seeded land here in the Sea uh, to Sky country. And so you have a relationship with the First Nations folks where you live? Yes, I do. I'm very close to a uh, couple of elders that are guiding me and mentoring me over here. And uh, uh, the shaman is a wonderful woman that I've been, yeah, having a lot of ceremonies with and talks and she become a good, a close friend of mine. And I also had, a, I've been have, I've been inviting the crowd too, because sometimes even in Pemberton, it can be a little divided. Sometimes people hang out with their own groups. So since I know the elders, I had a, I hosted one of their weddings here one year on our farm. And then I had um, uh, a musician I know in Vancouver, Ben Rogers came up and he did, he had made a song, written a song about the 
the, the murdered and missing women up here in BC. So all the proceeds went to, to the fund and I hosted the, the concert here where anyone from kind of Pemberton and Moncurry and with Moncurry's more Lilloweth nation, we all just gathered together here and, and did it for the murdered and missing women. So I'm, that's something I am very passionate about because I, yeah, might be in, in my heart. I want to give a special thank you to the board and membership of the Pacific Sami CRV for hosting this podcast and providing a platform for us to traverse, reflect on, and reclaim our connections to Sami culture and identity. I'm incredibly excited to be walking alongside you, our listeners, on the journey as we talk with our guests and learn from their unique perspectives and lived experiences. A special thank you to our musicians in Sapmi, featured here on the podcast, Ingor Anti Ailu Gap, aka Ailosh, as well as Vile Soderbaum and Hilda Landsman. We offer gratitude to Sandpoint Marketing for their assistance in recording and engineering these early episodes, as well as Seattle's Four Culture Fund for a grant to produce several episodes, and King County's Coronavirus Relief Fund for making it possible to purchase equipment and services to record remotely. Thank you to all of our members of the Pacific Sami Servi for their support of our mission and to the Sami in Sapmi and worldwide for their continued commitment to maintaining and sharing Sami culture, both traditional and modern. Learn more at pacificsami.org or email us at pacificsamiservi at gmail.com. We look forward to seeing you next time on Rayahi Sapmi. Mana Dirvan.